It's the FSS Plus Podcast. We are back. Jason Churchill, Joe Doyle, producer Casey Bellin. We have a lot to get to. Uh, it's been a couple of months since we fired this thing up. We took a little bit of a break. I think the draft, uh, and Joe can back me up on this, drained us of a lot of our energy. Boy, the draft can be long. It's a lot of fun. But the, after the draft, guys, I was like, I don't think I can. I, I can't do this. I can't, like hundreds of players, thousands of opinions, tweets, stories, it kind of wore me out, but here we are. We are back. The FSS Plus Podcast Future Stars series. We've got postseason talk. We have some wild card series to talk to. We're going to talk about Shohei Otani's free agency, which got a little bit more interesting over the summer with uh, with Otani uh, announcing that uh, he's got to have Tommy John surgery. He's got to have elbow surgery. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Rays here. The Rays, one of the teams that were ousted early. Uh, missing out on uh, the division series and they have some roster decisions to make. So we're going to jump into that guys. Um, Mr. Doyle, as you watched this wild card round uh, and, and to be honest with you, I had a hard time watching anything, but the twin series, to be honest with you, the twins have yeah. fascinated me for a couple of months. I'm like teams, like, like I said this on my show, like a lot of these fans are like, man, why don't you just be the six seed so you can play the twins? I don't think you want that. I'd be careful what you wish for. But it, it, of these sweeps in, in the wild card round, did any of them actually surprise you? Because I'm at the point now where in the wild card round, I, nothing is surprising to me. Not a sweep, not a, not a full series, either team winning. I just can't get there in the wild card round, Joe. No, you know, I the the series that I was most excited for was actually Milwaukee and Arizona. But when Brennan Woodruff went down with the injury, um, the path to seeing Milwaukee win that series got a little bit tighter. And so, no, um, you know, I've been saying for for a while, I, I think Minnesota is going to be a really tough out. They've got so much firepower from the left side. And I think for the Houston series, they're going to require a good start from Framber Valdez because if they don't, uh, you know, Verlander and, and Christian Javier, they can get touched up a little bit by that by that lineup. But to answer your question, no. I mean, Texas has been one of the um, uh, most ferocious offenses in baseball this season, and, and they really took it to Tampa Bay. And you know, Minnesota beat up on some questionable decision-making by the Jays. We'll talk about that another time. I, I really like the youth that Arizona brings, the, the athleticism that they bring. I think they can be a really tough out, especially because to me, Jason, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me it feels like, that team is built to run. Like when they get into the postseason, you might want to thro throttle down a little bit the second half of the season to, to make sure everyone stays healthy. But you get that roster into the playoffs, and they can really, really run. And then, you know, Miami, I always thought was a was a massive underdog, especially against that pitching staff that Philly has. So, no, no surprises. Yeah, I think the uh, uh, the biggest surprise to me was the fact that there were some sweeps. Like the Rays did nothing. The Rays look like an, an entirely inferior club in in that division. I think over the long haul. A lot of these teams are pretty evenly matched, but you, you see in a short series, you just have to win two, and, and the Rays were dominated. The Jays were essentially dominated. And a lot of this, Joe, was teams not generating offense. And, and we've talked yeah. about that being, you know, folks that, that talk about the Seattle baseball team quite a bit with their offensive line. That's what happened in the first round of the, of the wild card with just about every team that, that lost their series, that were swept out of their series in two straight games. They just didn't generate enough offense. And as we look ahead here, the matchups are really, really interesting. That Twins-Astros series fascinates me. Absolutely fascinates mm -hmm. because of what you just said. The Twins can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They have balance, and they can certainly pitch. Uh, that Astros team, we don't really know what they have pitching-wise. We know they have names, Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez. We know they got guys in the bullpen that can get it done. But this isn't the juggernaut pitching staff that they've been in past years, including last year, even though the names are very, very much the same. Man, that's a very, very evenly matched uh, series. That D-back series, you mentioned speed there. It's a really interesting thing that that uh, that you bring up because one of the things, the questions that I get a lot are, hey, can this team, can this player on this team basically be Dave Roberts? It, it's a goofy question, to be honest with you. Everybody remembers Dave Roberts. 
key stolen bases. I mean, we're almost 20 years ago now. Key stolen bases were key to the Red Sox coming back in that Yankee series, uh, scoring uh, key runs, tying runs, game-winning runs, things of that nature. Teams don't have players like that. So if you're going to steal bases, generally speaking, the speed, the ability to swipe bags has to be in your everyday players. And you're right, Joe. The, the Diamondbacks have that. What are they, a four guys that are capable of stealing 25, 30, 40 bases a year? Corbin Carroll, yeah. Thomas, Cattell Marte. Like even Christian Walker can run a little bit. McCarthy. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to, to, to keep an eye on. And can the Dodgers keep those guys off base and control the running game? I think they're equipped to do so. They have a lot of veteran arms, and, and uh, Will Smith certainly knows what he's doing behind the plate. But that could be a key factor to watch in, um, in that series. Uh, is there a – I know the Braves had the big – the big season. They were the best team of the regular season pretty much from start to finish, and they were pretty darn consistent the entire season. But is there a significant favorite in the National League right now? In either league, really, but we'll start with the National League. Do you see a team over there that you would just be surprised if they didn't get to the World Series? No, I, I think everyone says Atlanta, Los Angeles chalk, mm. right? But mm. as I've learned over the last couple of years, like, <laughs> do not bet against Philly. Like, don't yeah. do it. They, they always put on a show in October, and I think this uh, this October is, is no less. Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, they've got the pieces. Bryce Harper. Kyle Schwarber is the best October player I think we've seen. Well, at least he's in the conversation. Kike Hernandez, Randy Rosarena, guys like that. But mm-hmm. no, I, I think any of these, I would be legitimately surprised if Arizona got there. But I think Los Angeles, Philly, and Atlanta are all are all solid choices to go to the World Series. I You know, the one thing that I, that I worry about with the Dodgers is I don't know if they have a stopper in that rotation. Like I don't know if there's a guy that's going to go out and give you seven mm. scoreless or seven innings uh, of one-run ball. And while they've got some really interesting relievers, and Dave Roberts and that team have really gotten an understanding of how to how to deploy those guys best, it's hard not to look at that roster and go, they're an arm or two or three if you include the bullpen short. But I want to ask you this. I want to flip it back to the American League really quick. You said you were fascinated with the Twins, fascinated with the Astros. Something I keep getting hung up on is the Twins playing at at Target. Uh, that that left field porch is so short, it's high, but it's so short, and it really plays to what that lineup looks like. I, I wonder how that lineup plays in Minute Maid with, you know, the the long right field uh, porch and the short right uh, left field porch, and you know, Houston's kind of built for the Crawford boxes. It almost feels to me a little bit like. This is setting up to where Royce Lewis is going to have to be, and he was spectacular in in the wild card series. It almost feels like Royce Lewis is going to have to take take advantage of Minute Maid Park if Minnesota is going to keep up with what uh, with what Minnesota or with uh, with what Houston can accomplish offensively. Yeah, oddly, and I don't buy this over the long term, but oddly, Houston was better on the road than at home, just in terms of wins and losses. Um, offensively, they're a little bit better uh, at home. Uh, than they were on the road. But it, you look at the Twins, and they're essentially an average offense away from, from target field. But that doesn't appear to be related to handedness, which is really, really interesting. And I, I know there's no Byron Bucks in here, but you're right. They do lack – they were looking for a right-handed punch at the deadline. Um, yep. uh, they talked to just about every club that had someone that was, uh, that was remotely interested to swing the bat from the right side, particularly at first base, DH, and in the outfield. It's interesting because the ball travels even to right field in, in Houston, even though you don't get that short porch and and there's the weird, you know, the way it cuts in from from left field uh, to the opposite side. But I just wonder here if the home field advantage doesn't make that big of a difference at the end of the day. No, you know, when you see the trends sample, and you see right? the matchup, yeah, yeah, it it, it I mean, is a small. We're sample. talking about a talking about a twenty seven inning burst. You know who's who's gonna who's mm-hmm. gonna get to three wins first? And I just think who pitches the best, um, right? Who pitches the best? I mean, Sonny Gray looked so good, and John Duran is is just electric. You know, Minnesota's got a sneakier staff than I think a lot of people give them credit for. And I'll tell you what, man, Kenta Maeda, he's probably not going to start another game. Maybe he will. I haven't read up on it. He's a weapon. He's been there. Mm-hmm. He's done that. He's done the October thing. He pitched for the Dodgers. Uh, he's a crafty, different look than what you're going to find from much of the league. And I think he could end up playing a pretty big role here down the stretch. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'll go back to Royce Lewis. I think Royce Lewis is the key to the series. I, I do. And it's yeah. not because he's right-handed. It's because the Twins are one of those clubs that, while they have a lot of punch, you, you can't get it from three guys. 
you're going to have to stretch that to five, six guys, even in a postseason series. And, and I think we, we all know that Astros club, that lineup has a lot of experience. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, to a little bit of a lesser extent, have tons of experience in the postseason, in these situations, they're not going to freeze up. They're not going to get, uh, uh, they're not going to feel, you know, the pressure like some other clubs will. Maybe the Twins will. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Twins getting out of the wild card round erased some of that, but they're going to need some down lineup production. And maybe Royce Lewis uh, comes through there, uh, especially in Houston, because I- I'm of the belief, in, and this, there's a little cliche to this, but if if the Twins can win one of the first couple of games, get a win in Houston. I mean, you have to feel if you're the twins, you have to feel really, really good uh, about your chances moving forward. And, and I think you're pretty confident going in anyway, because you also uh, can pitch the, 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 the series that, that fascinates me in the LDS more than any other is that Phillies Braves series, because you mentioned the Dodgers don't really have that stopper. And while the Braves theoretically do the rest of their rotation, I don't want to say it's ordinary. But it's not like you can point to anyone after Spencer Strider and say, well, you know what you're going to get here, and it's going to be really tough for the Phillies to score. And the Phillies, and you mentioned this too, Joe, the Phillies are built for the postseason. They're going to win 87 to 90-some games, and and as long as they get in, they're going to be a legit World Series contender as long as guys like Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber are on this club. So I think that's a really – that's a lot more of an even matchup than than I think – I don't want to say I'm disinterested in Arizona Dodgers and and Rangers Orioles, but compared to the Phillies Braves series and the Twins Astros series, yeah, I'm going to be paying attention to to Philly and Atlanta and Minnesota and Houston for sure. I would would argue that Philly – Philly's done this thing where they they go out, they try to win 54% of their games. And (laughs) every year they seem to be – a a world series contender and it is such a fecal such a fickle idea i, I don't know how they do it well, it might be a fecal idea too joe <laughs> no it's it's a fecal idea in seattle be but a fecal idea too fickle so and feeble makes fecal uh and it's also the front office uh point of view in seattle but no uh in all seriousness that team is just built for october i mean they've got the speed and mm-hmm. stott and turner they've got the thump from the left side in Harper every bit and the pitching Schwarber, staff the Braves had this year. They allowed got the same the amount of runs. Staff. They might not have the bullets in the bullpen, but they've got the horses at the at the top. And I'll tell you what, man, they've got some interesting pieces. Like like, you know, um, if if Reese Hoskins comes back mm-hmm. and just acts as a pinch hitter, um, that's a that's a pretty good weapon off the bench if they think that he can even provide any sort of value whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. um, and Atlanta's got some decent lefties in the in the bullpen. So listen, like at the end of the day, I, I think Atlanta is tried and true. They're the deeper team. They're the better team on paper. Uh, they've been there. They've done that, but Philly's just got the ingredients to go to the world series, the NLCS. And I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on, um, I kind of preach this and I've talked about this quite a bit lately. I don't believe in momentum. I don't believe it exists in major league baseball. I just don't. You could be, you could win 10 in a row going into the postseason and get swept out. We, we've seen it happen. We've essentially seen that happen this postseason. But one of the things we talk about a lot with, with these, especially these longer series, the wild card series is a little bit different, but they're very much about bullpens. And you mentioned that maybe the Phillies are a little short in the bullpen, but potentially the equalizer here, Joe, and I think you'd agree with this is you're only going to use three starters. You might use a fourth in a seven game series, but you're going to use three, maybe twice. And that fourth guy can be part of your bullpen. So if if just theoretically speaking, if Philly wants to go Wheeler, Nola, Taiwan Walker and use Suarez and Strom out of the bullpen, now you have two bullets out of that bullpen that you don't otherwise have. And you might only have to use uh, Suarez or Strom to start one time in the series. So the other games surrounded around separating a couple of days from that start, whether it's game four or game five, however it works out, you're in a significantly better spot than it might suggest you are on paper with your bullpen. Now I realize the Braves can do that too, but I think the Phillies can actually cover a hole or two in their pen by stretching their rotation out into bullpen rolls um, the way that we've seen other teams. I think the, the Astros did it really, really well a year ago with Luis Garcia and Jose Arquiti and, and, and guys like that. And even Christian Javier to some extent. I think the, the Phillies guys are equipped for that. I think I would go Wheeler, Nola Walker as my main starters 
choose between Strom and Suarez if I need a four starter. Otherwise, those guys are my pen uh, pitching in key situations and, and filling a high leverage gap there, Joe. I guess my hesitation is, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. The Blue Jays tried to do that, right? Like they, they tried to piggyback. And I don't know. I'm if, not talking uh, about piggybacking, if, by the way. I'm not talking about. I know you're not. I, I, I know you're not. I'm just I'm you're, you're saying leveraging thing. a starter. It's the yeah, seventh yeah, yeah, yeah. inning. As far as a really yeah. good matchup to get us out of this jam. Yeah. Sure, but I don't know if that's. I don't know if starting pitcher arsenals necessarily work out of the bullpen. Like I, I don't know. The last couple of years, I've seen it burn so many times. You know, they, 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 Toronto tries to go with Kikuchi and it doesn't work. Uh, Seattle tries to go with Robbie Robbie Ray for for one out, just one out. Um, and it didn't work. So I, I think in theory, like I'll give you, I'll give you two gold stars here. Like Matt Strom is a very, very good bullpen type of an arm. He's a unique look. He's a low Suarez slide. used to be a reliever stuff. too. That's why I picked those Suarez, two in particular. He spent Suarez entire a good seasons as baller. a reliever. Suarez is a good heavy baller and he does have that, uh, that track record. But um, yeah, I, I just like, I, I wouldn't say either one of those guys is necessarily a, a weapon as much as there are means to an end. That's that's my two cents. I just I look at a team like Minnesota and a team like Baltimore before uh, uh what's his name got hurt and I say that those are Batista. those are real bullets. Like yeah, Batista, like sure. those are guys that are going to get out. Um I don't know if I necessarily see that with these two teams, but it, in either case it should be a good series. It should be a close series. And going back to the other series, we'll we'll jump onto another topic here shortly, but going back to the other series, I do think the Arizona uh, Dodgers series is going to be pretty close because Arizona can oh. sneaky pitch. And if the Dodgers aren't scoring runs, they're generally giving up, you know, four or five a game. So um, yeah, that should be a, that should be a good contest. Yeah. One more thing on the Braves Phillies thing. When you look at a guy like Strom, for example, you mentioned the Braves have some guys that can swing the bat from the left side too. Like you get into yeah. the sixth or seventh inning, a close game. What is Matt Strom best at in any role? getting out left-handed batters. That's the kind of thing that mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Where you don't necessarily have to bring in your best two relievers, you have a guy like Strom potentially available there. Uh, and again, it's could. Like, we have no idea how this can turn out. We have no idea. Maybe they use Strom in, in game it's three of the matchup. series. Like, like yeah, I don't know. And I don't know and how Taiwan listen, these- Walker projects to the pen either. So if they they swipe it up, they swap <laughs> it up, and it's Suarez and 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 Walker getting starts, and, and or St- Suarez and Strom getting starts, and Walker's the guy to the pen. I don't know how that works either. Like, I'm with you there. That's it's, what it's I would do. Suarez situation. But Strom against lefties, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that one makes a lot of sense. I would rather – I think I would put Suarez in the uh, – I think I'd put Suarez in the rotation just to give a different look. Um, but one thing we haven't talked about really quickly is these these – Postseason games have a knack for going long. They have a knack for going eleven innings. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt Strom is is a great piece to have if if you're running low and you need to get through you know two or three tough innings. Look at what uh, what did Houston do last year? Was it Luis Garcia who pitched like six innings? I know that was an eighteen inning game, total outlier. Yeah. But Matt Strom's the type of guy that can give you three or four really really good innings in a pinch. Right. And maybe and, and maybe something like that is the uh, the difference in the series, or or at least is a significant factor in the series. So all of those series pick up uh, on Saturday, uh, Rangers at the Orioles, twins at the Astros, D backs at the Dodgers, Phillies at the Braves, all game ones going to be fun uh, as usual. All right. Um, one of the, uh, and, and one of the interesting things that we start talking about during the postseason, to be honest with you guys, I try to put this off. I try not to, to talk too much about free agency and about trades and about rosters, while the while games are still going on, while the postseason is going on, but we don't really have a choice because, you know, hey, the Rangers, you know, they they, they beat the tar, you know, they 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 roll, you know, we got to talk about rosters, we got to talk about what they're doing right, things like that. One of the things that comes up for me is the Blue Jays getting ousted, and especially the Rays getting ousted early when they were probably the second or third best team in the American League all season long, and they have some really interesting decisions to make with that roster moving forward. And it includes their ace starter, Joe. Um, it, it, we talked about this a little bit before we hit the red button. I, I don't know that it's it's really that clear what exactly the Rays are going to do with their ace right-hander for, uh, for 2024, owing him as much money as they do. He signed, a, I believe it was a two-year, That's it's Tyler Glass. No, he's, he signed a two-year, essentially $30 million deal in August of, of last year. Now, the first year of it, which was this year, he made a little over $5 million. That means he's owed $25 million next year. 
Have the Rays ever paid a player $25 million in a season? I don't know no. for sure. They haven't, they they haven't have approached not, it. But, it. but it sounds like no, right? Like that, that seems to be the safe bet. What does that look like? Like, do they have to move Tyler Glasnow? And if they don't, what, what, what else do they have to do to make sure that fits? I mean, this obviously isn't a team that spends a lot of money uh, on a year-to-year basis. I mean, this is a team that their 40-man tax number this year was $136 million. Their cash out for their 26-man roster was about $75 million. Are they really going to roll in 2024 with Glass now taking up somewhere between a third and 40% of their team's payroll? I don't want to say 100% no, but it seems like th- there's a pretty significant choice they need to make here, Joe. I think it's even more complicated than that. I'm, I'm looking at their roster commitments for 2024, and while the Rays are a team that could certainly non-tender a lot of these players, there are some dudes that are going to get pretty expensive here. Randy Rosarena is going into ARB2. That's going to get spendy real quick. Aaron Savali, ARB2. Harold, Harold Ramirez, ARB3. Andrew Kittridge, uh, ARB3. Jason Adam, ARB2. These are the expensive years. These are when guys get paid. Christian Betancourt, ARB2. Sean Armstrong, ARB3. Posh. Rasmussen, both ARB. Um, yeah, I mean, Shane McClanahan's going into ARB1. So they're going to have some serious uh, escalators here in, in payroll from what they had a year prior. And they just don't have too many guys rolling off their books. Uh, you know, yeah, anyway, Jake Diekman is coming off. Raymond Tapia, mm-hmm. that's about it. So with, with Glasnow, with Glasnow's $25 million salary, they have $74 million committed next year already in guaranteed dollars. That doesn't include all those arbitration cases. There's, there's a handful yeah. of ARB twos and a handful of ARB threes. It, it's like, what do they do? Do we expect them to be paying a hundred million dollars for their 26 man roster next year? Because unless we do, and have they ever done that? I, I don't believe they've ever done that. I don't believe they've ever had a $100 million they have not. They have never had a $100 million 26-man opening day roster. I think the the most is about $84 million, and that was last season. They They're haven't even approached it. Oh, by that. They're going to Very interesting. And, and, and I understand that there's going to be some insurance situations to come into play with uh, uh, with Wander Franco, and that they're going to get some of that cash back. But that at this lot. particular point in his that's contract 24. isn't isn't a big enough yeah isn't a big enough situation. So that's uh, he was only set to make two and a half million dollars next year. That doesn't make a, uh, a a major dent in what the Rays are doing. So are you convinced that probably at least the best route for the Rays here is to try to trade the one year left with uh, with 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 Glass now and and try to reap some uh, some replacements or, or do you think they end up having to keep him because I mean while there are going to be teams that will just take on that 25 million dollars what are they going to be willing to give up for it like the Rays have a pretty difficult de- I don't think this is as easy a decision as it might sound like on the surface just trading away the 25 million dollars I think it's actually going to be a little bit more I don't want to say cut the fat because these are actually pretty good players but you know Manny Margot is set to make 10 mil and there's a lot of teams that could use a right-handed hitting outfielder that can play all three spots, and you can stick him anywhere in the lineup. Brandon Lowe, who, while he's had a tough time with the batting average, the dude still hits homers, and he's, you know durability has been a big issue. But he's set to make eight million, nine million this year. Uh, he doesn't spark me as the type of guy. Plus, he's he's not a good defender at second base. He doesn't strike me as the type of guy that the Rays want to employ in 2024 with his you know durability concerns and the fact that they have 15 other infielders that can play any of those spots. Right. So uh, you know you got to find a place for Caminero and Walls and you know all of these different infielders that they have coming up the pipeline. That's 19 million bucks right there that you can shave off. I think if I was the Rays, they probably would be better set moving those two players and shaving 19 mil than they would be trading Tyler Glass now because you look at this uh, rotation, the Tampa Bay Rays for years now. This is not a one year thing. This is several years have had a very very difficult time keeping arms healthy. I don't know if it's a usage thing. I don't know if it's a philosophy thing where they're one of those clubs that's like, hey, you got crazy good stuff. Let's throw at 110% for three innings and then we'll come get you. You know That, that has been their philosophy. Uh, they're going to have a hard time hitting their innings this upcoming season. And I think um, having a guy like Glass now who's been healthy all season and has the you know potential to pitch 160 to 180 innings next season uh, would be a huge feather in their cap. So that would be my who's guess. Their, I think they would move some who's their, players first. Who's their shortstop next year, Joe? Probably I don't Taylor think anybody Walls. Believes, He's a really I, good. 
he's a very, very good glove. He's a he's a mm. pretty good bat. He's a really, really good glove. And it did seem like I would he just was imagine exposed. they would stick in there. It did seem like he was exposed offensively this year. We're talking about a guy who's 85 Without WRC question. plus, 201, 305, eight homers, um, to where he probably ultimately in an ideal situation for him and, and for the club, he's the he's the utility guy. So if they have to do that at shortstop, this is where having the uh, kind of a clog at third base, first base DH with Caminero coming up and being ready, their top prospect, having Harold Ramirez, their first base, mostly DH, having Paredes and having uh, Yandy Diaz. And I know that they play some of these guys at second base, although not ideal. They try to get away with some of that. And to, to some extent, they certainly do. Um, yeah. It seems like maybe moving one of those guys I'm not saying who, maybe it's just Harold Ramirez to try to get more middle infield help, to try to get a legitimate I think everyday middle it. infield I, might make the most sense. And if you are trading glass I, now, maybe that's their target to try to find someone at second base or shortstop. I mean, they, they, they got Jonathan Aranda who played a, quite a bit down the stretch and, and Carson Williams is knocking on the door as well. And I'm sure he's going to be able to find a spot uh, in the middle infield. They've got more than enough options at the middle infield. Yeah. They may not have, a full assortment uh, until June 1st with some of these prospects. Curtis Mead can play third base. I know that he's been kind of up and down this year, but everyone loves the bat. Uh, they'll be able to piece it together. Yeah. Offensively. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll be able to piece it together in terms of uh, getting everyone on the field, but you know, you'll, you list those guys that I just listed third base, third base, second base. Uh, I would think that they would just prefer to put uh, Taylor walls in at shortstop and let him kind of run with it. Uh, that mm -hmm. way you have some sort of a stabilizing force on that infield. You look at Seattle. I mean, we live in Seattle, so it's, it, you know, we've we've kind of been here uh, watching a team that's struggled to score runs, but they've been steadfast in a defensive shortstop. You know, Brendan Ryan was here. He hit 100. He hit buck 40 for a few years, and he Jack had, Wilson, you know, played yeah. 155 games. Jack Wilson. So I think you can still win ball games with uh, a shortstop batting ninth who, who is kind of an anemic bat. Um but yeah, I, I just think, you know, you look at the roster, the way it shapes up, you can clearly cut uh, Manny Margot to a team that could use him. And you know, you know, the Rays, I mean, they could probably go grab uh, some kid off the scrap heap who ends up pitching 130 innings for him and, you know, strikes out 230 guys. So, you know, look, you look what they look what the deal with the Brewers did where they landed JP Fire Eyes and like that that's that is the race right you can go get what you need uh, and move pieces that are excess and i think they just do that better than anyone and if they think curtis mead is ready whether he is or not whether they think he is or not i i don't know i'm not suggesting one way or the other but if they think curtis mead is ready and they think junior caminero is ready and i think there's a good chance they think caminero is ready we're talking about oh, a yeah. team with we're talking about a team with mead caminero ramirez paredes Yandy Diaz and Brandon Lau, none of them belong at second base. None of them belong at second. Now, you might be able to Jonathan Aranda needs to be fit in there, too. But again, out of those guys, they have too many guys. I mean, those guys aren't outfielders. Like, it seems to mm -hmm. me that if they think Curtis Mead and or Junior Caminero are ready for the big leagues early or even on opening day 2024, that one of these other guys is getting moved. And I'm not suggesting it's Diaz. I'm not suggesting it's Paredes. It doesn't have to be. Maybe it's just Harold Ramirez, who's a pretty good hitter in his own right. But that puts a bat on the market. It's just, I don't know. The, the Rays are really fascinating because they seem, when you look at the free agent market, and we've talked about this quite a bit, Joe, there are not a lot of free agent bats out there to go get. So if you were a team looking for offense, you might need to go trade for it. And the Rays might be a place that you go look. You put Yandy Diaz on the market, and your phone is going to be blowing up. And it's not because he's a star. Yandy Diaz isn't a star. But he does so many things that so many teams covet so well. And I, I think the, the Rays could move him for a really a really good prospect, a, an arm or, or you know, they don't really need a bat, but they could probably go get an arm that's in AA that's kind of on the precipice of the top 100 for, for Yandy Diaz and, you know, they, they, they could do well moving him. I just don't – I think he's too important to them to uh, to move. The the Rays control Yandy Diaz uh, through 2025 with a club option for 2026, so potentially three more years of Yandy Diaz, who, by the way, is 32 years old already. I know he hasn't been around all that long at, at the big league level, but he's 32 years old already. So it does seem like if they are going to move a guy, maybe, maybe that's the guy that they would prefer to move depending on what they're going to get in uh in return really really interesting that that raise and we could do this with just about every team because i think the blue jays 
uh, are in a similar boat with different pieces of their roster. Like, I, I think you look at that Blue Jays team and it's like, like, let me ask you this, guys, it, it, really quick on the Blue Jays and then we'll move on. We'll talk a little bit uh Shohei Otani free agency here. Who's the best player on, on that Blue Jays club? It's supposed to be Vladimir Guerrero, but it's not. Even if we Man, just talk it on, it's question. supposed to be, but it's not. It's probably Bo Bichette, right? Like it, it, it yeah, I think like, so. Like I mean, he's, really had, he's one... had trouble. He's had trouble staying healthy, and and the defense has always kind of been in question. It's certainly gotten better year over year. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not taking anything away from him, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they for a team that had Vlad and Bo and Chapman and Springer, uh, that's a lot of all stars. They don't really have four guys that have played to all-star quality. They've all been very, very, very good. And I don't have their war numbers. A bunch of two-win guys. George Springer, A lot of two to three-and-a-half win guys. Alejandro Kirk, two-win guy this year, win-and-a-half-win guy this year. Whit Merrifield, win-and-a-half. Vlad Guerrero is a one-win guy this year. And that's mostly because of defense, but he was a 118 WRC+. That's not the elite hitter we expected out of Vlad Guerrero Jr. And Matt Chapman had a really good year, a a three-and-a-half-win guy. But he's a free agent, and he really struggled the second half of the season. It's Bo Bichette. And I just look at, and there are a lot of teams like this. I'm not trying to pick on the Blue Jays, but if Bo Bichette is your best player and there really isn't another guy that you control moving forward that is close, you don't have enough talent to win. I don't, I mean, they don't even control Bo. I love Kevin Goffman. I love their people. They don't have enough, they don't have enough talent to win offensively. And this was supposed to be a team that was loaded with young guys that they developed. And it just hasn't turned out that I think it's just very strange how, you know, a year or two ago, we were thinking completely, at least I was, completely different story about the Toronto Blue Jays right now. Really, uh, really quick. Is, and then, and then we'll, we'll move on. How old is George Springer? 30, 35? He's old. 34. Isn't he? Yeah, 34 years old. And are we talking yeah. only offensively? Because yeah, Kevin Gausman is probably their best player. Yeah, Kevin Gausman yeah. is yeah, the yeah, probably sure. most high. But, but when you talk about, like, like it's reasonable, and, and you're right, it's reasonable because I, I thought he was a Cy Young guy this year it's reasonable to think that Kevin Gossman starts to decline because he's well into his thirties. Like Bo Bichette's their best player and their most controllable player. Cause they have, they signed him to that, that mid tier extension. They just don't have anybody else. Like if that's your guy, like you, you can look at every other team that, that's, that's performing in, in the postseason right now, they have guys that they control that, that don't project to decline. You have to have offensive players, guys that in your everyday lineup, or you're not yep. winning a lot. You're just not. And you does, might be limited. Jason, does Vlad to get moved? Have been experiences. Does, does Vlad get moved? I mean, I, it's sacrilege like who, to say who that in Toronto. At, who wants him at this point? Like, is it even a good idea to trade Vlad Guerrero right now? Like, No, I mean, it's kind of the, it's the, it's the Pete Alonzo. It's it's not even the Pete Alonzo quandary. Pete Alonzo was way better than him. But Vlad's going to make $17 million this year or, or somewhere around that. And you got to pay him again. I just, you know that team has so many holes that they're going to have to fill, including a, a, a new Bo Bichette deal. That's going to be in excess of $30 million a year. Yeah. I, you know, next year's the last year for, for Vlad 2024 is it. He could hit the market. That's and if crazy. I was a betting man in Vegas right now, I'd, I'd bet he, I'd bet he does. Crazy. And, and because of that, you go back to your initial question here a minute ago, do they move him? Do they, do they move him? What's he got? Uh, he's got, he's got two years of control left, right? So one year Probably until they have not. to make the decision. Yeah. One this year is until the window have... though. It's like, yeah, it's, it's exactly. the same thing with the Mets, right? Like a lot of people say, oh, they should, you know, Seattle's a perfect talking point here. Seattle should go get Pete Alonzo. Well, the Mets aren't punting 2024. They're, they're, you know, their, their payroll looks like, you know, the, the chocolate factory at, at Willy Wonka. Like they're not going <laughs> to fold shop right now. And the Blue Jays are in the exact same spot. Like, they probably recognize that their window is kind of creaking shut right now. They're, they're, you know, their arms are getting older. Their contracts are getting deeper. Um, I think you kind of run it back in 2024 and then you slap a QO on him and see what happens. Yeah. Or you move him in July. He would, he would bring back a pretty penny in July too. Especially if you trade him now, because again, there are two years of control left on Guerrero. You just don't want to take him into that final year necessarily if you don't believe you're going to sign him long term. You want to start thinking about it uh, right now. I, I think it's funny that, uh, not to continue to bring up Seattle, but you know Seattle Mariners fans are pretty ticked off right now. Your team won 88 games. It wasn't enough to get into the postseason. The Blue Jays won a couple more games, got into the postseason, and that that fan base is ticked off. And <laughs> what's interesting is last year. Seattle gets into the postseason. They win their wild card round. 
They don't win the division series against Houston. Fans really aren't that ticked off until they have a bad off season. It's just like when you, when you think about what actually sets fans off, I think the Blue Jays fan base and the Mariners fan base are oddly in the same situation, despite the fact, Joe, that the Blue Jays did a lot more go for it stuff. They gave Springer the money. Uh, they brought in Gossman. They uh, they made the Chris Bassett deal. They they've just done, and and it just seems like these two teams are in the same spot. They are in the same position as franchises with different issues, but the same position. Despite the fact that it feels like you said, Joe, the Blue Jays window is kind of starting to creep closed amazingly. And and I don't know that we feel that way yeah. about the Seattle Mariners at this point at all. No, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you a hypothetical, and then uh, this will be a soundbite that the internet can absolutely roast me on. Maybe it's more likely that Vlad gets moved this winter than Pete Alonso because you just kind of put the pieces together and, and where those two markets are and where their expenditures are and things like that. You know, I, there's a lot of teams that would probably be willing to take a shot on Vlad who need a right-handed hitter. Seattle being one of them. You know, yeah. um, I don't want to throw it reminds any me of the Francisco Lindor situation in Cleveland. Maybe Evan White. Remember Lindor, <laughs> Lindor's situation in Cleveland where they waited too long to move him and really didn't get as much as That's they should have. Even though, though, even though they, I, I don't think it's different because Lindor because, wasn't. Lindor was still on the rise performance wise, and part of that was that he was an elite shortstop. Vlad has seen his defense regress, his batting average regress, his his balls in play have regressed, his approach has regressed. Um, yeah, but in terms I, I mean, of waiting, in terms of waiting, though, that's what I'm talking about. Like Cleveland waited too long. If they trade him the year before, they get significantly more for him. Instead, they waited until there was one year left, and then they moved him. That's the parallel that I'm drawing there with with Vlad Guerrero. It's interesting. Sure. If they put Vlad Guerrero on the market, a lot of teams are going to be interested to see if they can get more out of them than the Blue Jays have, for sure. And maybe they it's do because Brandon Belt, Brandon Belt was their best batter with 400 or more. Plate appearances. I don't okay, that'll be the That is Brandon <laughs> Belt was the Blue Jays' that'll be best the hitter with 400. Podcast. Seriously, Casey? Yeah. 138 w, WRC plus and Bo Bichette, 125. Wow. That's crazy. Good That's interesting. Belt, though. You, should Belt, <laughs> you should be an agent. You should be an agent, Casey. We're going to hook you up. I'm going to hook you. You know who I'm going to hook you up with because it'll just be hilarious. I'm going to send you to Mr. Jeff, Boris. Jeff Fry, Matt, uh, uh, Mike McCann, School of Agenting. I'll explain what that Wait. means after this. I Nobody knows what I'm talking no. about. I Nobody does. I got a pretty good oh. feel. Uh, <laughs> you need to help me out here. I, I need a, bit, a little more information on that. I, I, all right. I, I'll, I'll keep it short. And then we're going to talk about Otani for a few minutes. Get players. Don't do anything with them. It's brilliant. I'm telling you, it's brilliant. Just convince players to come sign with you, take less than other agents, and don't do anything. The players do the agenting themselves. They're either good enough to get $4 million in arbitration or they are not. They don't really need the agent to really argue that much. Like, like that's not how it works. And that's how most of the smaller agencies and those agents you know, representing players, that's how they make their money. They want players that are going to get to arbitration, get through arbitration a couple of times. That's how they make their money. I think Casey, I think you could do this job because I Casey, think anyone could like do this most job. Of the agents that, uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of those smaller boutique agents reach out to me on a daily basis and say, you should mm -hmm. see this kid and put him on your board. You could do yep. that. Casey, you yep. could do that. Easy. Easy. He's already no doing. Problem. He's already doing that. I'm putting exactly. him on your board, Joe. He's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Casey has access to your. You got to restrict to access here. <laughs> Post publishing. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> that's a good point, Melon. Oh yeah. All right, Shohei Otani, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, despite the elbow surgery and the fact that he's highly unlikely to pitch at all in 2024, and I think. Otani and his agent have pretty much said as much. Like we're talking about 2025 return. This still is, if not the best free agent in the history of Major League Baseball. The most polarizing, for sure. And potentially the most valuable. Uh, and I think you guys would agree. We're talking about a guy who, when he's healthy, helps you with the plate immensely. Helps you on the mound immensely, even if it's not for 200 innings a year. And even if it's ultimately at the back end of a long-term contract, mostly out of the pen in some sort of hybrid role, whatever it is. But this is a guy who markets himself 
just by being who he is without talking, just by showing up. This is a really interesting time for Shohei Otani in major league baseball. Um, Joe, he's probably, when, when we look back to 2018, when Otani joined the Los Angeles Angels and the sweepstakes for Shohei Otani. Oh, don't bring it back. The, the idea of Otani at the time by just about anyone that I could go back and read or listen to. And, and, and I remember speaking to about and watching video on like, this was an accomplished pitcher who was going to be able to step into major league baseball and be a, at least a number three with a chance to be significantly better right off the bat. And that he was more of a prospect at the plate. Now, I think that rang true, but I think he developed at the plate a lot faster than most, if not everyone, expected. Right now, when you look ahead to 2024, the first year of what we expect to be potentially a long-term deal, there's probably going to be some opt-outs and some crazy stuff in there in any deal he signs with anyone. This is a guy who can go out there and hit with the best of bats in Major League Baseball. My question to you to kind of kick this off is, in a vacuum, do not attach a team to it. In a vacuum, if you're attaching dollar value to Shohei Otani for 2024 only, so Shohei Otani, the designated hitter, is not going to play a position. Not that he can't, but he's not going to play a position. He's just going to be the DH. He's not going to pitch in 2024. Mm-hmm. What kind of a dollar amount? What kind of a dollar figure can you attach to that? Because when you we look beyond AAV that, for this no, year just only, for 20, just for 2024, because when we attach the rest of his contract to that, and we say, well, I don't want to pay him $500 because he's not going to pitch until 2025. I'll put my palms up and saying, I don't think 2024 should matter because he's probably worth X, Y, Z in 2024 anyway. I'm just curious what kind of dollar range you'd toss value on him for 2024 at the plate. At the plate, and this is going to be a hot take, it's only 2024. I'm not saying this is what his AAV will be for 8, 10, 12, 13 years. And it's his actual value third- will never match his AAV. The value no, is always uh, actually no. higher than the and AAV. This, we, we know that. 2024 will largely not come into conversations and negotiations because it's just not representative of the player that he is. He's probably a $32 million player, and he's going to get way more than that per year. But you look at, you know, Judge got 40. Trout got 36 and a half. Shohei Otani doesn't play defense. Does not play the field. And when you're talking about strictly a designated hitter, that brings some questions into the overall value of the player. He, you know, he no longer, no longer can you make the case of he's taking up two roster spots in one because he pitches and he hits. No, now 2024, that's not the case. 2024, he's really taken up about half of a roster spot because, or maybe you can still make the argument that unfortunately he is taking up two roster spots because he's got to play every day. Mm-hmm. And he's a DH and he provides no defensive value. So I think he's probably worth 30 to 32 million in 2024. He's still a, you know, best DH in the game, but you know, judge got 40 million and he's an elite right fielder. Trout got 36.6 mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, he's so, an elite. So if you were was, signing, an if elite you were signing Otani to a one-year deal, let's say Otani went out and said, Joe, I want a one-year deal. You would say he's worth about $32 million. Is that, is that what you're saying? He, he wouldn't, I mean, he would require more than that because with marketing and PR and, and, mm-hmm. you know, gates and everything, but just he'd on probably the field, get you 36 think 30 or 37 or 38. Okay. I think you'd get 36 when, to 38, but he's probably worth 32. We, when we throw the, the cost of wins into this, into this mix, uh, Shohei Otani just finished a season where offensively, because again, there's no defensive value there offensively he was worth 50 plus million dollars considering what free agency, considering what teams are paying free agents and what they're getting out of free agents. Okay. That, that doesn't equate entirely with what your $32 million means, but it suggests if you're going to get, I'm not saying he's going to give you six and a half wins again, but that's what he was worth in terms of free agent dollars in 2023 is over $50 million. The, the, the worry I have here for any team out there looking at Shohei Otani seriously has nothing to do with what he's worth on the field, what he's worth off the field. My concern would be if I get him to sign with me, Joe, how long is he going to be with me? Like, do I have to give him outs 
and then he's going to take off into you. You know what I mean? And and, and that's to. probably going to be part of it. That's my only worry. Let me, just, let me play devil's advocate, uh, devil's advocate really quick. Just because you made the point. Uh, Aaron Judge was worth $93 million in 2022. Yeah, yep. incredible and he got so okay. it's not so like let me stop you right one. there really quick and then I'll let you keep going. Let me stop you right yeah. there. That yeah, was yeah. one of the most amazing offensive seasons we have ever seen in Major League Baseball history. And how old was Judge at the time? I think 30, 31. I don't think I don't think anybody yeah, believed that they were buying that season again. Now, if we compare that to what Otani just did at age 29, could 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 I see him going 300, 400, 650 again? Maybe. I'd buy that before I'd buy Aaron Judge doing what he did a year ago. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to throw that in there. I just, yeah, I, I, I guess my, my thing is, I think with the guys that are at the very top of the heap, the, the free agents mm-hmm. that are at the very, very top of the heap, using the in free agency eight wins per war type of a thing. Like I look at Trey Turner last year. Trey Turner had a year that I think a lot of people thought he could repeat. Uh, back-to-back years, 6.5, 6.9. You know, that mm-hmm. is worth, uh 52 million per year and he got 30 and he was 29 he was young yeah, it never matches so, the aav it just never does it never the, matches the, the actual value skewed. of the player is always higher than the aav of the contract it always is yeah and it's it's skewed a little bit by the guys that are worth half a win and get mm-hmm. 10 mil you know like like a jd yeah. martinez right I, I don't know how much jd martinez was actually worth in 2022 but he probably got more than that eight per whatever um, mm-hmm. or Justin Turner's a great example. He got 20 million. He was not good in 2022. I, I don't think, I don't remember, but anyways, um, in terms of what Otani's contract is going to look like, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be complicated as hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the way I'm looking at it is I think he's probably going to get 45 a year. And my guess would be, it's going to be one of five years or a long time. Like it's either mm-hmm. going to be you know, 12 years with the Dodgers, or it's going to be a five or a six year deal. That's a little bit more creative with a Chicago or a Seattle or a San Francisco or one of these clubs that give him an opt out after year two and opt out after mm-hmm. year three and opt out after year four, because the the fact of the matter is Otani wants to win. And if he deems that after uh, three years in a city, it's not going to happen. He can bounce at age 32, still get another massive right. deal. Um, yep. And also the other opt-out thing that is important to consider here is after that second year, uh, let's say he signs for 45 mil uh, per year for a five or six year deal. And he goes gangbusters as a 31 year old pitching and hitting posts another Mm -hmm. nine win season in 2025. Uh, I think there's a chance that he gets another 10 year deal worth 500 mil. Um, So there's going to be a ton of opt-outs. It's going to be creative. I do think the possibility exists that the Dodgers should, could just give him, uh, you know, 11 years, $500 million. I think that's mm. totally reasonable, but it does um, seem I the actually, industry believes I think it's gonna the go, Dodgers are they? I think it's going to go a different direction, here. man. I think it's going to go a different direction. I, I think so? when he got hurt, well, look at it this way the Dodgers need arms, they need pitching bad. Uh, they have failed to land long term mm. pitching year in and year out. Kershaw's on his way out. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You're right. Uh, they don't out. have a ton of options. Arias is don't know what's going out. on with and Walker it, Bueller. Don't know what's going on with Gonsolin. Gonsolin just got cut. Um, so they need arms. And I don't know whether or not the Dodgers are prepared or in a position or want to spend $45 million on a pure bat in 2024 because it doesn't mm-hmm. solve their problems. Now, maybe they just say, you know, screw it. We're just going to eat it in 2024 because Otani's just worth way too much for marketing purposes and he's going to pitch in 25 and he'll be here soon. They got issues, man. They they they've got they've they've got payroll um, issues to to dive in 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 2024 for arms, and uh, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to address that before they can really go in on Otani. I think they're not a lot of arms. There are a few. It's it's not barren, but they're not a lot of arms on the market. The Sunny Grays and the Blake Snells, those are the kind of guys that that lead the market. If you were to go out, if you're the Dodgers, you're going to get one of those guys and Otani. I think you've just answered. The questions at that point probably you know what probably I mean? like, like a jordan montgomery and a, yeah 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 like there are guys to go out but you probably have to know that you can you can piece together a pretty quality uh rotation first but yeah the dodgers seem to be the heavy the heavy favorites i i do think there's going to be creativity even if it's the dodgers because i don't think otani's gonna i think he's just like he's earned it uh he's gonna want some say he's gonna want some control and if he doesn't like it you know somewhere or or 
uh, you know, one of his favorite teammates is playing somewhere and he wants to go play with him. That's, that's what those free agents have earned. But you brought it up just a second ago, Joe. And I've been saying this for a couple of years. I don't think a team investing 400 million, 500 million, and I'll just be outlandish and ridiculous and say a billion dollars in Shohei Otani is going to regret it. I think the Dodgers could give him $1 no. billion over 10, 15 years and end up not regretting it. Like at the end of the day, the guy is a cash cow. He is a cash mm-hmm. cow, even in a place that can't market itself like Anaheim with the Los Angeles angels. It's incredible. And if you're a team like the Dodgers, especially that's very uniquely equipped, just like the Yankees, just like the Red Sox, just like uh, the Mets, uh, maybe the Cubs, maybe even the Phillies uniquely positioned to take advantage of his marketability in Los Angeles. I don't have a number that that limits. I, I don't have a number. Like if Otani comes in and says, I want $800 million, I'm saying, okay, do you need opt-outs? Like I'm not arguing with the number because I just don't feel like you can lose. I really don't. And I understand that he's a risk to be hurt. I get it. I absolutely get it. But you can't put a, a ceiling on what he's worth to you in merch sales and marketing and how much he props up the team as a whole and every other individual player on that roster that puts on that uniform, whichever team Mm -hmm. it is, he's going to do that for. Now, if it's San Francisco, Seattle, or Texas, instead of the Dodgers, it looks different, but it's still very, very significant. I'm just, that's where I am with Otani. I I just think if that element wasn't there, I would be, I would feel very, very differently about Shohei Otani because again, He's already had elbow surgery once, and now he's having it a second time. That would worry me. That would absolutely worry me. And he's not that young anymore. He's 29 now. We know that once guys get to 30, 31, 32, you just you don't really know, and you start to lose a little bit of confidence in performance along the way. Not that I'm saying in the next three years he's going to fall off a cliff, but that's why he's so marketable. It's insane. Absolutely Yeah, that's insane. why I think if there's a team, if he's willing to listen to a five-year deal, just a team that's a little bit more risk averse, a Chicago, a Seattle, a mm, San, San Francisco will pay. Yeah. They'll, they'll pay whatever. Okay. Uh, they, they tried to do that with judge. They tried to do it with Correa, but I just think if, if, if Otani is willing to listen to a five year, $275 million deal with an opt out after every single year, uh, 55 million a year for five years and Seattle, you don't have to worry about losing him, uh, losing him to, uh, due to regression. Cause he'll be out after age 34. Uh, Chicago, he'll be out after age 34. Like, I could see him going take some of the risk off the table. Um, Take take some of the risk off the table and make him buy a country mile the highest paid player in Major League history. It also pulls more teams into the market if he goes out there and says he's willing to do to to consider things like that. It brings more teams into the market because if it's going to be 10 to 15 years at 40 to 50 mil per, how many teams are in on it realistically? Three or four? 15, 16. Oh, no, no, no. If it's 55. If it's five years, you probably get half the league in on it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So if he's asking for 10 to 15 years, yeah, there's maybe that's three. a different story. We're talking three or four teams, right? So you go the route you're yeah. talking about, the shorter deal, the four or five year, the opt-outs after every year. A lot more teams are in on it. That That's when I really – I I'd even throw the Astros in on that. I absolutely would. They're, they're, Jim Cray oh, would, would absolutely yeah. be interested in Shohei Otani if he was willing to go five and two seventy five, like you mentioned, just for example, with some opt outs. I'm going to be sick just talking about that. Yeah, I'm going to be sick. I can't, I, I can't see him that. wanting to go to Houston, but you know, I, oh, just, like, just really Shohei Otani eliminate and Orange. Come on, yeah, bad. Come yeah, on, bad. I don't need to like see him Padres, hitting home runs. The Padres are a team bucket. <laughs> the Padres are a team we haven't mentioned here, Joe. We probably should. Not that they've spent wisely the last couple of years, but they've spent big dollars and it looks like they're going to at least consider avoiding giving $400 million to Juan Soto by putting him on the trade market this winter. Might that be because they'd rather give four or five, $600 million to Shohei Otani or at least five and two seventy-five? They're going to be in play to some level as well until Shohei Otani tells it. You know, maybe I think everyone is going to be in play until he says no, but I've, I've read reports that the Padres were thinking about cutting $30 million in payroll uh, to get under the collective bargaining tax just because it hasn't worked. So mm-hmm. I would be surprised if, first of all, if Shohei Otani reached out to Peter Seidler and said, hey, I've loved San Diego. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit more quaint. It's a little bit more my tempo. I'd love to come. 
Peter Seidler is not putting that phone down. Uh, that being said, I don't know if the Padres are going to proactively go out and try and buy that. Um, just because I think they're stupid. So I think they, I think they will. I think they will. I I think the San Diego Padres are one of the stupidest organizations in major league baseball. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, been and, and yeah, it, it's been right. Like, like, I think most people that follow me or have heard me talk about the Padres know how I feel about AJ Preller. Um, the guy shouldn't have a job, but some I of this money spending was on baseball Sider. tycoon. Yeah, like some of yeah. this money spending was on ownership, was on is on, is on Sider. And I just, you know, while it's kind of fun for fans, like winning is the ultimate goal, and 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 the winning part is up to Preller, and I just don't trust him. So I, I think they're going to be in until Otani tells him no. Out. so interesting i don't know it's yeah. gonna be interesting padres are in a, a very very interesting place man the padres uh the whole narrative two two three years ago was this is so good for baseball seeing a small to mid-market team mm-hmm. spend all this money it shows that any owner can do it well, i think what it's also shown over time is that uh nothing ultimately at least in today's day and age with baseball nothing trumps development nothing yeah. trumps the ability to uh, you know, bring forward cost controlled players uh, that that uh, maybe this is the most important part. Uh, players that have come up through the system, one at different levels together, know each other, develop camaraderie uh, and then try and do it at the biggest stage. I think you're seeing that with some of these, you know, the Tampas and, and teams like that. Mm-hmm. The Braves have done it best. The Braves are a bigger market, not enormous. They're not one of the elite, but they're a bigger market. They have a two hundred and fifty plus million dollar tax number. They're going to pay the luxury tax, but they don't have one single individual player with an elite contract. Not one. They haven't no. done that with one uh, single I mean, player. Not an elite a, contract. That nobody's making two hundred plus million dollars for them, and that's just because they've got a bunch of Sean Murphys and they got Acuna signed early, and and Matt I Olson just wonder came if they're in under miss, that. Jason. It's just, I wonder that? if and when they're going to miss. They might not ever miss, but I wonder if they're going to miss with a you know, a Michael Harris or, you know, they, they've hit with so much excess value out of Albies and Acuna. Acuna was a, was a, was a, everyone knew that was a bad deal for Acuna out of the gate, but they've hit with so much excess value out of these position players. I just wonder if at some point they are going to have a $25 million guy on their, on their payroll that is sunk cost at, at 24, at 25. I mean, you know, these are smaller examples, but you look at the Jonathan Singletons and you look at the, um, oh God, who was the kid in Philly that that it didn't work out for? But I mean, my point is, uh, oh, what was that kid's name? Kingery? Did Scott Kingery <laughs> sign a five-year deal? Uh, yeah, yeah, but early. my point is, yeah. you yeah. wonder when there's going to be one or two sunk costs with Atlanta. I just, I don't see it happening, man. Everything that they sign turns to platinum. Yeah, and I think I said a minute ago that they don't have a $200 million guy. What I meant was they don't have they haven't done what the Yankees and the Mets and some of those other teams have done. I, I do believe Austin Riley's contract is over $200 million. I think it's a $21 million AAV, which is pretty team friendly, but it is over $200 million. But they're not paying Acuna that, right? Like they, well, their risk like is up there, 14. but it's not out there like the Mets. The Mets put them in a really tough I think the Rangers have put themselves in a really interesting position because the only way to cover for the Jacob deGroms, uh, you know, being hurt and, 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 uh, when Corey Seager misses 50 games is to continue to spend. So we'll kind of see what happens there, but, uh, the, I think the Braves have done a best and you're right. Like maybe ultimately at the end of the day, they're going to regret the back half of the Austin Riley deal. I mean, he's only 26 years old, but he could be a guy where I could see, like, he's not elite, like he's a five, one player, right? But he's not the elite athlete where you're just like, this guy's going to be good for another eight years and fulfill the contract and be a five, one guy all the way through. Maybe that's the guy. But along the way, they might win two or three World Series. And I'm not talking banks, about that so. guy. I'm talking yeah. about the guy that you signed. I'm talking about Michael Harris. I'm talking about the guy that wins Rookie of the Year. Yeah, but what's the hit on that? Apart. I get what you're saying, but what's the hit on that when you give a guy like that? Um, because again, we're not talking. They didn't. It's not a free agent. They gave him what no, seventy two million dollars. Like if he's yeah. a two win player instead of a four win player, so what? Right. I think that's the advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's really it. only sunk so cost. What? It's really only sunk cost the the years seven and eight that would have been outside of ARB. So, right. no, I mean, I, I I'm playing devil's advocate when I when I do all this. The Braves have it figured out. You know, they go out, they acquire stars, they lock them up, uh, and they get guys locked up through their age twenty three through thirty four seasons, and they don't yeah. you know overstretch their boundaries and in, uh, in free agency. They do it the way. 
they do it the way you, that you need to do it. And I think that the Giants do it uh, the way that you need to do it. I think the Giants have really, really struggled to develop talent over the last decade, mm-hmm. and that's why they're yeah. where they're currently at. Um, but they do it the right way in supplementing homegrown talent. It's uh, you know, they, like I said, uh, they've struggled. But yeah, two two predictions I need from you before we go. Uh, who wins the World Series? And where does Shohei Otani sign? World uh, Series you know winner. Who's your World Series winner? Give me, give me the Phillies. Okay. Give me the Phillies. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, they got close last year. I, you know, give me the Phillies. Um, you'd be a fool not to say, say the Dodgers. I mean, yeah. they. There's a, there's a re- one thing that you and I didn't bring up. There's a reason they cut like fifty five million dollars in payroll yeah. to get under the collective and didn't, and didn't go this and year. didn't go balls to the wall to get Trey Turner back. I mean they could have had Turner, they could have had Seeger, they could have had uh mm-hmm. uh Justin not Turner, yeah, Justin Turner, both Corey Seeger, yeah. Trey Turner. I mean they they've let go of so much talent because I think they knew what was coming. Um and I just they're too well positioned not to do it. And outside yeah. of Shohei Otani just simply not wanting to play in the big city of Los Angeles, which I think is kind of unlikely because he's been close enough this to- this sure. whole time. He might not even have to sell his house. Um, yeah. I just it's, it's hard to believe he goes anywhere else. Yeah. So you like the Phillies, and at least right now here in early October, you think the Dodgers are the favorite. I'm the same place. I think the Dodgers are the heavy favorite. Um, here's the thing. I don't know that anybody – I certainly don't. I don't know that you do really has a good feel for what Otani values most. I think other than winning and we know the money's going to be there anyway, I just don't really know. Like, yeah, he's lived down the net. I, I don't know. I get, we're going to find out. It's going to be fascinating. I put the Dodgers one as well. I think the, uh, the giants and the Mariners are kind of dark horses here. Um, yeah. Maybe it would probably be my two, three. Yeah, like like they should be, there. but I think that I think the East Coast thing is overblown because the East Coast thing where you know Otani preferred the West. I think that's way back in 2018. I don't know that that exists anymore. Like he was going to be more comfortable on the West Coast. Is that even still true? Um, and can a Boston or a, or one of the New York teams change his mind? So um, New Balance really is sure in Boston. Gonna, new Balance is know. in Boston. He's a New Balance guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know all about New that, Balance guy. Uh, World Series. I, I really like your Phillies pick. I really do. I'm going to go somewhere different just to be different, um, but I'm kind of going chalk. I think the winner of the Phillies Brave series uh, wins the World Series if I had to pick. That's where I'm at at this particular point. Uh, Casey, give me a um, uh, Casey Bell and super producer. Give me a World Series winner. Give me an Otani landing spot as of October, that first week of October here. Yeah, I'm going to go super wild card on the World Series. Rangers get hot. And just smoke everybody with runs. Okay. The Orioles are beatable. <laughs> the Twins are beatable with enough runs. There's my there's my super duper wild card okay. uh, World Series pick. And if I had to pick one team on Otani, I think uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be the Dodgers. He's going yeah. to the Dodgers. Yeah, I kind of hope it's not because it gets more fun if it's not. But then in a lot of ways. Yeah. To be honest with you, if you cover a team or you're a fan of a team in the American League, you want Otani in the National League. <laughs> like, this is one oh, of those yeah. things you should be rooting for for these major free agents. Like, if you're in the American League, especially in the East, you were rooting for Judge to go to the Giants or whatever. <laughs> you should be rooting for Otani to go to the Dodgers or the Giants or somebody in the National League. But uh, uh, good stuff there. Hey, um, we're going to do this every week. We're back on track. We will uh, follow along the postseason. We will talk free agency. We will talk trades. And you know with Joe Doyle here, we will get down and dirty with the, the Major League Baseball draft, minor league prospects, things of that nature. So just about anything uh, is, uh, is fair game here on the FSS Plus podcast. Casey Bellin will keep us straight. Uh, gentlemen, um, next week, I'm looking forward to having a conversation about how poorly Dusty Baker uses his bullpen in the early stages of the Astros Twin Series. That's my. Uh, we talk about his black plastic gloves too. <laughs> yes, yes, we can. Casey, put it on the docket. We're going to talk about <laughs> the black plastic gloves on Dusty Baker. Hilarious. You know what? I, I do want to talk about next week if we can, because awards are going to be coming out in a few weeks. The Manager of the Year award. Want to get your guys' take on it? I have some thoughts on it. They haven't changed in years, but I think it, we might be able to have a fun conversation about Manager of the Year, just in general, not necessarily this year, but the award existing at all is pretty much my bitch. 
about the MOI. So, uh, <laughs> hey, can we'll, I uh, we'll throw do, out a quick we'll candidate next week before Let's we go? It. Yes. I want you guys to think about Ross Atkins as manager of the year because I think he's no. a dark horse. No. No. Well, not he's not a manager, so. <laughs> not going to do that. Yeah, not going to do that. You might as well I'm be. not going to consider because I'm not considering anyone for manager of the year, Joe. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. this one out every year. Anyway, wow. we'll talk about that next week. Joe, appreciate it. We'll talk next week. Casey, I uh, really appreciate what you're doing here for the show. We're going to we're gonna make this uh, FSS Plus Pocket. By the way, we're not going to keep that name. I said that six months ago. We're not keeping that name. Somewhere along the way, somebody's going to suggest the name for this thing, and we're going to take it, and we're going to run with it. So, But for now, FSS Plus Podcast is the placeholder for Joe. For Casey, I'm Jason. We'll talk next week. Peace. So just chill to the next episode.